Welcome back to the Leroy UMC podcast. This week, we're diving into Acts 9, 1 through 19. God uses others to change us. Ananias is converted just as much as Saul. He is converted from his fear and anxiety by being called to get to know Saul, the monster. What challenging people in your life are pushing you to be more kind, more patient, more aware of someone else's life? Let's send it over to Pastor Matthias. My friends, uh, this morning we are continuing with our worship series, taking a look at the book of Acts, preparing ourselves for Pentecost, which is on uh, June 5th. We're coming up on it. Uh, Pentecost, Be More is the series. And as we've said before, basically the book of Acts is a collection of mini stories. It's all these stories about people who encounter Christ, encounter the Holy Spirit, encounter the gospel, and are changed by it in some way, called to be more. Uh, and this morning we are taking a look at what is without a doubt the most famous of all those many stories that we get from Acts, uh, the conversion of Saul on the road to Damascus. Uh, and so our reading this morning is from the book of Acts, chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. Friends, listen now for the word of the Lord. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, who are you, Lord? And the reply came, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he, without sight, he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he answered, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment, he is praying. And he has seen a vision of a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, 
The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on your way here, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Of all the books that you could buy at Barnes & Noble or check out at the library or download on your Kindle, perhaps the single most important book that you have never read is Don Quixote. Now I'm guessing Don Quixote is a name and a title that we've all heard before and know is famous, but have absolutely no idea why. It's a book that was written about 400 years ago in 1605 by a Spanish author named Miguel de Cervantes at a time when the most popular stories that people everywhere were reading were stories about chivalrous gallant knights like King Arthur and Lancelot and Galahad who fought dragons and rescued damsels in distress and had all kinds of wild adventures. And Miguel de Cervantes at the time hated those stories. Because the thing is, Cervantes realized that in all those classic stories about knights, the main character, the knight, never actually changes. No matter how many adventures they go on, no matter what they do, the knight's character in those stories never develops. Their personality, their views, their values always stays the same. And that frustrated Cervantes because he knew that that isn't how life really works. So Cervantes wrote his own book about an ordinary man named Alfonso who reads so many of those old stories about heroic knights that one day he kind of, I guess, loses touch with reality, puts on an old suit of armor, declares that he himself is a knight, renames himself Don Quixote de la Mancha. In other words, Don Quixote is a comedy about a man who gets lost in his own imagination, who imagines that taverns and inns are really castles that need to be stormed, and that peasant girls in town are damsels to be saved, and that he is a knight off on all kinds of grand adventures. Don Quixote is a joyful, enthusiastic optimist swept up in his own delightful fantasy. However, early on in the story, this very cheerfully delusional knight recruits a poor farmer named Sancho Panza to be his squire, his sidekick, which is hilarious for the reader because Sancho Panza is the exact opposite of Don Quixote in every regard. Sancho Panza is a grounded realist 
who sees taverns and peasant girls and the world for what it is, and who spends the course of all their adventures trying to point out to Don Quixote that his adventures are just fantasies in his own mind. The two characters have nothing in common. They come from completely different worlds, and they see the world in two completely different ways. They should hate each other, and yet, as the story progresses, the two men slowly begin to change. And not just because of their travels and their adventures, but because of each other. The fantastic Don Quixote slowly begins to see the world a bit more as it is, a bit more like his realistic sidekick. And the pessimistic Sancho Panza begins to be a bit more hopeful about what the world could be, a bit like his cheerful friend. And it's because of that change that Don Quixote is the most important book that you've probably never read because Don Quixote is the first truly modern novel in which you see the main character develop over time. It's the first book in which you see the hero evolve and grow and change, and not just because of their experiences, but because of the people in their life. To live is to change, and few things change us more than the people who are least like us. That's the lesson that makes Don Quixote such a classic story, and that's the same lesson that makes Saul and Ananias' story so powerful. Now, unlike Don Quixote, my guess is that the story of Saul, better known by his Roman name, Paul, is a story that most of us probably do know. For centuries, Saul's conversion on the road to Damascus has been hailed by some as the model of what conversion is supposed to look like. And maybe what makes Saul's conversion so famous is who Saul was before he became a Christian. When Saul first enters the story, back in Acts 7, even before that reading, when Saul first enters the story, he is a religious, political fanatic. He first enters the story as part of, effectively, a lynch mob that is murdering a man named Stephen for being a Christian. And as we heard in verses 1 and 2 of that reading, Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. To Saul, those Christians, those people are the real problem with his society, with his country, with everything. And in Acts 9, Saul is doing something about it. He is on his way to Damascus to bring any of them that he can find back to Jerusalem in chains. You could not imagine a more fanatic, hardliner, self-righteous villain if you tried. Saul is a Christian hunter, and that is who Jesus decides to make his head of evangelism. You've got to love God's sense of humor sometimes. 
or cry about it, one of the other. Jesus Christ appears to Saul on the road to Damascus in a flash of light as Saul famously falls from his horse. Christ confronts him, humbles him, leaves him blinded and helpless, and leaves Saul ultimately to grapple with the fact that his right versus wrong, good versus evil, us versus them view of the world may be a bit too simple. But maybe the really important thing to notice about Acts 9 and Saul's famous conversion on the road to Damascus is that Jesus' appearance on the road to Damascus isn't the thing that changes him. That's something most people tend to miss about this classic conversion story. Saul didn't convert on the road to Damascus itself. When his friends lead him off, he is not yet a Christ follower. He could have been, is the interesting thing, Christ could have hit Saul with the whole truth all at once. He could have broken his hardened heart, could have personally ripped those scales off his eyes right then and there on the road. But instead, and this is the thing that always amazes me when I read this story, Instead, Christ tells Saul, get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. Think about that for a minute. Christ Jesus could have changed Saul completely and could have changed him all on his own. Christ didn't need anyone or anything to change Saul But Christ didn't. Instead, Jesus chooses to change Saul not with a miracle, but with another person. And with someone who was, in that moment, the exact opposite of Saul. One of those people from the other side that he had come to fight. It's Ananias the unsung, largely unknown disciple from Damascus who becomes the real instrument of change in Saul's life. It's Ananias who gives Saul the healing that moves him, who shows Saul the mercy that convicts him, who gives Saul the grace that makes those scales fall from his eyes and changes him into something so much more than Saul himself ever dreamed he could be, into an instrument of God. And the thing is, Ananias is able to change Saul because He is so completely different from Saul. These two men could not have been further apart on every issue in their views, their values, their politics, their religion, in everything. And Ananias knows it. At first in the story, you may have noticed Ananias refuses to go. At first he protests and says, Lord, I have heard many things about this man, how much evil he has done. Ananias has heard the stories about Saul and fanatics like him. He's talked with his friends, he's seen the news reports, he's read the social media posts. He knows what those people from Jerusalem are like. 
Saul isn't the only one in the story with an us versus them mindset. But in response to Ananias's fear, in response to his own misunderstanding, his own rejection, Christ gives the most remarkable answer in verse 15. Go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen. That's an important reversal in the story. Ananias calls Saul a monster and an enemy to be feared, and Christ responds by giving Saul a new identity. He isn't your rival. He isn't your enemy, Christ says. He is as much mine as you are. And it's that new identity, that character development, that change that ends up changing not just Saul, but Ananias too. That's what I love most about Acts 9. The story of Saul's conversion isn't the story of how one person changed by Christ. It's the story of how two people changed by Christ working through opposites, working through others. Ananias changes Saul as much as Saul changes Ananias. Ananias in the story goes from referring to Saul as that man in verse 13 to calling him brother Saul when he meets him in verse 17. And in the process, Ananias changes from a frightened follower into a bold disciple. And Saul goes from seeing Ananias as one of those people to seeing him as he truly is when the scales fall from his eyes, and in the process, Saul changes from a persecutor into one of them. In the end, Saul learned from Ananias what Miguel de Cervantes discovered later on, that to live is to change. We weren't meant to live static flat lives, or remain the same people all our days. Our character, our personality, our views, even our values never stops developing. And there are so many ways that God can work those changes in our lives. There are victories, there are tragedies, there are dreams, there are losses, adventures, you name it. But maybe the real good news behind Saul's famous conversion isn't just that we are all called to change, but that it's the people who challenge us the most, the ones who oppose us, who are least like us. It's they, whoever they may be, who may not be a rival to fight or a monster to fear, but they might just be God's greatest instrument of change in our lives. When all is said and done, it's the ones who are least like us, who most push us to grow, who question our views, who show us new angles, who confront us with new ways of seeing our world, new ways of even seeing ourselves. In the end, the real change and God's call to be something more doesn't come from those who are like us. It comes 
from the Ananiases and the Sancho Panzas of the world. Like Don Quixote, Acts 9 is a story that should make us stop and wonder who has God brought into our life to change us? And just as importantly, it should make us ask whose life has God brought us into so we can change them? Is that frustrating coworker who drives us up the walls sometimes slowly changing the way we act? And are we changing them? Is that friend who stands on the opposite side of every aisle forcing us to realize that those people aren't monsters? And are we showing them the same? Is that teacher who pushes us, that neighbor who confronts us, that loved one who baffles us, is that person who is so completely different from us really there to change us? And are we there to change them? Because from frightening persecutors to frightened disciples and from optimistic knights to realistic sidekicks, to live is to change, and few things change us more than the people who are least like us. The only question is, what unlikely Ananias is God bringing into your life, and what unexpected healing are you called to bring to Saul? Because Saul isn't the only instrument that Christ Jesus chooses. We all are. And thanks be to God for it. Amen. Friends, please pray with me. Holy Christ, this morning may you come and meet us on the road to knock us off our horse, right in the middle of our plans, to confound us, to confuse us, to challenge us, and to give us the grace to both look for the Ananias who heals us and to be your instrument of change to us all. Lord, give us the patience to listen more than the fire to argue. Give us the faith to trust you more than the confidence to lead. And give us the will to change and to be changed more than the stubbornness to stay the same. That the scales might fall from our eyes and we might be more for you and more like you in time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Again, we want to thank you for joining us. I hope that you are blessed and that you are a blessing to others. Go in peace. Thank you.